Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. the live stream. It is uh, Monday, one o'clock UK time, which means, of course, Startup Business Q&A. We are on episode 160, so week 160. This is a sales AMA this week, so a, an Ask Me any uh, Anything session on sales. I thought I should clarify that, so it's not literally, you know, what kind of cheese do I like and stuff, which I've had in the past and I just had an open AMA. So the idea of this session is to make it nice and broad and look at all things sales related. Um, and that can be from the online world, but it can also be from other areas as well. And my background 17 years ago, I started selling online marketing and I've of course have done face-to-face -face selling all the way through to uh, a lot more online work as well. So from automation through to manual sales, uh, it's always fun to try every little bit. And I do consider myself quite the student of sales. Uh, that's not a brag, that's simply how I've been. Um, I think over the years, in, in fact, not even over, just over the years, like literally within the first few months of my first job, I was already spending my commission on, uh, you know, how to sell books and things like that to give myself my best uh, chance. So I really am kind of a fan of the science of it all and, and the periphery as well, because selling is, is an art, I believe, uh, but it's also very accessible by many people. So I'm fascinated by the questions we got through today. There's a lot. Uh, but we, I just want to shout out everyone who's listening in, uh, either on the replay, if you're listening to the podcast, if you're watching on IGTV, or live right now. So we're live on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn this week. So thank you very much, very much to anyone who is joining in and watching. If you have a question to do with sales, anything at all, do here at least. Question, uh, this is kind of my, my, I'd like to think my sweet spot, at least it's an area of passion and interest for me, so I'm excited to uh, uh, share with you. Thank you everyone for joining in. Facebook, Jedi is here, one of the greatest names in the world, Jedi uh, Hill. Uh, Diana, nice to see you watching live from uh, Melbourne, uh, buy me a house, she wrote. <laughs> Anthony's here, Shane Wallace, uh, Purvey's watching as well, nice to see you too, all the way from Chicago. Put in the comments, hashtag live or hashtag replay. Victor, good to see you all the way from Barcelona. I will be there in one month yesterday for Entrepreneur Business Live, back in Barcelona for round two, raising money for your charities. Looking forward to that. And uh, what an exciting week ahead. Um, I'm actually uh, going to be on travels on Thursday. So I'm not consulting in London this week. It's my daughter's birthday tomorrow, so we're taking the day out. She will be seven. So if you're watching this replay or live, put in, uh, in the comments, happy birthday <laughs> uh, for my daughter. Um, happy birthday, Richard's daughter. And uh, her name's Lily, you can put in there as well. Uh, just so everyone doesn't think it's my birthday, weirdly. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this. So um, one thing that's uh, really stood out is that I wanted to shout out some anniversaries, and I often do because there's, you know, we recently had the one year anniversary of Entrepreneur Business Live, the event series I run, uh, and uh, we're going strong already. We're looking at LA probably in November, uh, working back from there. San Francisco is on the 30th of October. New York is looking like it's in there as well. Uh, I think it's the 17th of October. And September, we have Miami on the 26th and Barcelona, of course, on the 8th, uh, sorry, 18th rather. So Barcelona and Miami are now uh, available to buy. Uh, if you want to grab a ticket, you can go to my website, therichardmore.com. Uh, and I just want to shout out everyone who is uh, very excited uh, about this session because there's been some really nice messages about this. Uh, so those of you watching, 
watching on multiple platforms, I love you. Thank you for that too. Uh, looks like we're live on, on uh, LinkedIn. Let's just check uh, to make sure it's got his act together. It's not me. It's, it's the glitchy stuff that I have to work with. Not that I'm complaining. It's nice to have LinkedIn live, of course. Uh, it doesn't look like it's live yet, but I'm, we'll, we'll give it a chance. I'm sure it'll be fine. Maybe if I do a cheeky turn off and on again. What do you think? Will that work? Um, put in the comments whilst we're waiting, hashtag team live and where you're watching from. Uh, and or you can put in hashtag team replay if you're watching the replay It's always nice to see where people from watching watching from all over the world Colin Joseph nice to see you here over on Instagram Juliana 17 Mama Mamad uh, Fahani 112018 is here. Uh, Diana's over there as well uh, Motivated Nick nice to see you. I hope you are uh, ion 4283 joining have we got LinkedIn live? What's going on? That is the, uh, it's the software. There we are. Anyway, should we start? First question from Nadine Dezutan. Hi, Richard. I'd love to hear your take on how sales and marketing nowadays, are, I'm just looking over here because I've got my monitor for the, uh, for LinkedIn, are aligned or not. And I'm glad I've got this uh, question because um, back in 2002 or so, when I started um, my first job, I was selling internet marketing. I was calling up cold calling companies and, and selling. And there was very much a vibe that marketing was a thing. And it wasn't just my word. I think it's what I experienced from others as well, was that, that marketing was a, um, was a function and sales was a function and they were discrete from one another. They were kind of very separate and they may have kind of helped one another a little, but I, I saw not masses of evidence that there was a flow or, or meshing of, of uh, you know, of, of the departments together. And a shame, what was the shame about that? I think I can go live now. Come on, wake up. <laughs> I think what's interesting is that certainly over the, the short time I've been doing sales in, in 17 years or so, there's definitely been a bit of a, a kind of a meshing and I think functions working together and people are kind of waking up to it more and no, they, we're live, finally, goodness me, and no more has it, no, it's been massively because of, um, certainly because of the internet and, and uh, social media. Back in 2002, I was selling web marketing. It's pretty hard work to, uh, to get people to go, you know what, yeah, let's throw some money at this. Whereas nowadays it's de rigueur. And, and weirdly back then, people would, would trust print, they would trust paper and things like that and wouldn't necessarily trust, uh, they wouldn't trust at all something like online by comparison. I, th I think to answer your question directly, uh, Nadine, what, what's clear is that there is much of an awareness that done right, marketing can feed into good sales. And my opinion is, is the same. I do genuinely believe that if, if you have strong marketing, it can drive effective selling. And it moves you to a really wonderful place. I'm not saying that selling, selling is redundant with good marketing. Marketers will definitely say that. Uh, really good ones will. And, and I, I get the idea of creating constant inbounds and, and organic sales where people close themselves based on good branding or good marketing. But one thing's for certain, let me turn it up a bit here, sorry. Uh, one thing's for certain is that done well, in my opinion, you get a combination of great inbound organic sales where, where people close themselves. But in addition, you also have marvelous opportunities for salespeople as well. 
So what that looks like is receiving a receptive, inbound, warm lead where someone's keen on what you have to offer and being able to do a great job of helping them buy. And that's the sales function done well. And that's where you can move to not just giving them what they had in mind, but then inviting them to explore other opportunities and potentially making uh, a greater value sale for your business and indeed for them as well with, uh, you know, by additional features or upsells and things like that. So what's really nice is there's much more of an awareness of fusion, but really are we there? Absolutely not. Working with the majority of corporates uh, it is clear that there's a, there's a lot missing still and, and social media as a channel for marketing is way back and I think people, um, uh, marketers in, in what I've seen with a lot of companies do tend to focus more on things like um, outbound mail merges more than more than their social media um, uh, and many different companies I work with have this opinion of things. So it's an interesting one. What's your opinion actually? I'm interested to see what you guys have to say about the meshing of, of sales and marketing. I think without question marketing has a lot more, um, it used to be seen as a lot more fluff whereas now it's seen as a lot more, it's got a bit of clout because it can really represent a transactional part of, of your business as well. It can generate something really meaningful. I'm talking about income, and I think that's a really valuable, um, uh, you know, that's a really valuable thing. But it's also because marketing's become more effective, there's a lot more study done on it. There's a lot more um, psychology and, and awareness of behavior and mechanics of how that all works as well. It really does have a positive impact on um, how people position themselves in marketing a lot. Uh, Brian Wallace, nice to shout you out, uh, shout you out here. Uh, about to wheels up to New York, have a good flight, but popping on just for a second. Colin Joseph has asked, Hi Richard, just started a position at EMR Medical Software Company. The manager wants me to develop a territory sales plan. Any suggestions on what to focus on? I think it's important to go do a bit of market research here first, uh, Colin. Uh, I've worked with territory sales um, directors in the past, and what you need to make sure of is that you have a sense of what your territory actually looks like. Uh, in a past life, I was a headhunter working with sales roles, territory sales roles, for medical device businesses. Uh, this was like nine years ago or so. And it's a fascinating world because you've got territories, not the, all, all of Germany, for example. It was very German. It was very kind of... Um, what was it called, the, the DAC region, so Germany and Switzerland and Austria. And what was very interesting about that space was that uh, everyone had their kind of own territory and a lot of it was relationship building. And a lot of it was an awareness that actually um, there's, there's the grooming and warming of uh, people, uh, of the people who may well buy your products or may well not for now, but could in the future. And part of the territory sales, uh, kind of the, the, the strategy, if you like, uh, in there, Colin, was making absolutely sure that a, like a really robust amount of time is spent with the relationship building side of things. Um, I sat, as you said this to a sales manager recently, in fact, um, who's, who is, he's based in London, and we were talking about the fact that he doesn't actually go and visit many of his clients, many of whom are set in London. And it's like, you know, you need to do something about that. You should be asking yourself, and I feel this is a strong, uh, strong part of kind of owning your territory, uh, asking things like, who am I having lunch with this week? Who am I having coffee with today? And I remember when I was um, uh, part of building out a uh, the healthcare part of our recruitment business uh, many years ago, there was a lot of like, you know, saying on the phone call to someone, well, I'm in the area later today, why don't we pop in for a coffee? And, you know, hopping in a, in a taxi and driving over to Canary Wharf or something like that and, and meeting some people there. And I think what's interesting is that if you 
do the networking side as well and, and understand that whilst it's not directly transactional, it's a really good way of, of being on the inside with potential uh, customers. It is really time well spent. You've just got to make sure you choose your champions to go out and do that because for some, it becomes this jolly and it's not focused enough on selling and that's obviously a problem there. So you need to think about that uh, uh, quite a lot. Um, Let's move on to uh, the next question, but hopefully that helped, uh, Nadine. There's just some reflections on it, I suppose. I don't know if I'm live or not on LinkedIn. It says I am. <laughs> and on LinkedIn, it doesn't look like I'm doing anything at all. So who knows? Um, but uh, so if anyone's watching LinkedIn as well as in, uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, do let me know. Uh, uh, but otherwise, just give me a wave and say hi. Hello, Mirav. Hello, or Merv, rather. Hello, uh, Laurie. Nice to see you. Hello, Johnny over in Miami. Hello, uh, also, uh, or goodbye to, to Brian Wallace, who is asked the question. So let's answer that one next. Richard, something I think should be addressed is the concept of being a farmer. There's more to the question. Planting a lot of seeds is metaphorically speaking, even when things are good and not getting overly excited about one upcoming deal. The fact is this, we're humans and humans react to good stuff in weirdly a complacent way. Some are built in a way that react in a, in a kind of a let's go get it kind of way. But I think what's interesting is that uh, it, it's, it is human, it is natural to get excited when something looks like it's going to work out in your favour. What's weird is over time, you do get a bit cynical because stuff falls through and that I... I used to, have, there was a period I remember when I was much younger, I was probably in my early 20s, and I had a number of deals fall through. And I remember starting to say to myself, you know what, the dead certs never happen. But actually, here's a really important fact about, the, about business or, or deals that you've got out there in your pipeline that you need to, need to, that you think are going to be dead cert deals. The reason why they often seem to fall through is really simple. It's because the human's taken over and is getting excited and the professional isn't in the driving seat. Let me explain what that means. So many times I've seen it where a call, when I listen into a call and people are, you know, are doing, I've, done, I've recorded a call for training sessions, for example, or in a meeting when it's going really well and going really well for the human. OK, this is so important in selling The going well for the human basically means we're having a nice conversation. I'm not getting rejected. Everyone can relate. I'm sure I'm not getting rejected. I feel really good because the person is listening, feeling warm and cuddly and, and, you know, having lovely chats around the fire aren't they're not necessarily productive conversations. They're nice conversations which make you feel good as a human. But as a professional, it is your job okay to make sure you go through a process and absolutely nail down where you stand in terms of the deal in no uncertain terms you should be able to get off the phone out of your meeting or away from an email and say it's clear what has to happen next either it's not a deal or it is a deal or here are the set of things that need to happen next and what happens is the excitement of something feel, feeling good imagine you've got a prospect right saying to you this is great we're going to take it or we're going to do the lot put in a proposal on how it's all going to work and i've seen it thousands of times when people are getting so excited about it um but they haven't nailed down okay so what's your process on your side okay you've mentioned someone else who's involved in making decision 
What's their reaction likely to be to something like this? What's their name? What's their job title? Have you done something like this before? Does this fit in your budget? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Testing it. Because that's really where the truth is. We're not looking as salespeople or, or when we're selling something for a good feeling as the barometer of success. <laughs> okay, what we're looking for is the, the black and white, as well as a good feeling, obviously, because the rapport and things like that, but the black and white of, is this guy actually going to do it? Okay, and the truth is really what matters. Now, this affects things a lot because when we feel good about things, we get complacent because we think we're being looked after by our deals that are out there. We feel we're going to be looked after by our pipeline, the pipeline being things that are out there that are going to serve us. But the truth is that often we're not and we're heading for a fall. We have a pipeline of projected business that's feeling good, but actually it's false hope because we haven't tested it as a professional. And this is very important because what you run the risk of otherwise is having uh, a bunch of things out there that you haven't tested properly. And so the complacency comes in, you take your foot off the gas and then you start failing. But the worst part for salespeople, and remember, I've been a sales manager for many years. I was a sales director as well. So I worked with hundreds of salespeople. Hello, Pelpina. Hello, Zach Houston. Hello, Ginny. Hello, Carolina. Hello, Brian. The problem is that um, you don't feel the pain of taking your foot off the gas, okay, until perhaps often a couple of weeks later, because you've got this great pipeline, and then slowly it starts to not drop in, and then you're screwed, because now you've not put enough, put enough work behind it to, put, to stack more things into the pipeline, so now you're really in trouble. So I actually developed to have a, a saying to myself, which was, if... I am doing well. If something looks good, if I, especially when I close a deal, that's when I have to work my hardest. Sure, you have to work your hard, you have to be hung, hardest and you have to be hungry and all that to, to improve yourself and to do better and, and to get yourself off the ground. But when you're doing well, that should be, weirdly, it sounds really bad, right? But it's around the corner. One of the greatest sayings I ever heard, seriously, I think LinkedIn's, when you close a piece of business, you've just lost your best customer. And it's a really good way of looking at it. it and because of the relentlessness of, or, or this need to always have customer acquisition, what it means is if you lose your best prospect, you need another. If you close your best prospect, you need another. So it doesn't matter either way. And so ideally you ride these waves of emotion where you're feeling great or you're feeling like, oh, the world's against me. And there's a question a bit later on this uh, from, from a friend of mine who's asked that I'll, I'll bring up. But, but what we need to be, bear in mind that is that we need to fight to get those deals into the pipeline and test as we go. But what we also need to make sure we're doing is making sure that when we're doing well, we are equally as focused. And a great way to make sure you are, because emotions like to rose tint how we're doing. Oh, I've had a lovely call today. That's gone really well, all that kind of thing. Those emotions will get in the way a bit. And what you'll end up with is uh, not putting enough effort in. So uh, some light KPIs, like for instance, 2015, I remember I started aggressively doing online um, consulting because I was doing offline consulting. What I started doing was making sure that every single day I put 20 new conversations into my pipeline. So 20 new people every single day. This is self-discipline. There was no one here telling me to do it. 20 new uh, people every single day I engaged with because some would turn into deals eventually. Now, 
I did it every single day, no matter how well things were going. So the way you need to look at it is no matter how well you are doing, you always have a base level or a malp, as it's known. I'll explain it. It's a malp of, of uh, effort and energy and pipeline going in. Because if you do really well, well, great, you're adding to it. If you do really bad, well, it's because everything doesn't turn into deals, it's fine because you can still add, you're still adding as you go. A MALP is a minimum acceptable level of performance. And if you add a, a MALP of, you know, five pitches a day or 20 new conversations a day or X type uh, times uh, pieces of marketing, for example, whatever it is daily, that consistency is unbeatable. You cannot lose, basically. So that's the way to look at it. Um, and I think that that's a way to make sure you're always sowing seeds so that you can be harvesting throughout. And I see it all the time. It's the excitement of a deal. And whenever someone says to me something like, I've just closed this big deal, I can hear it. And it's this voice in my head, which is, right, let's see you do it again then. When, and it's, it sounds bad because you obviously want to say well done and celebrate with them. But it's like, so where's the next one then? How long are we going to wait until the next deal comes in? Because when someone says, I just got a great big deal, and then there's another one out there and it keeps going week after week after week. You know that they're consistently putting in the back end into the pipeline because that's what's feeding to the results. But often you get the big deal and because they were holding out for that big deal, as Brian here has suggested in his question, there's this complacency sliding off. So don't focus all of your energy and resource on thinking about how that deal will be if it closes or what you'll spend all your money in. It's nice to reflect every so often, but your job in the day-to-day, -day, unless you're working on that piece of business, is to make sure you're focusing on delivering new pieces of businesses in, in there. Like I said, if it comes in, so what have you got next? If it falls through, well, you better have something new, right? So that kind of relentless attitude is good. And I think some kind of consistent level of putting more uh, in each time is a really good idea. And just simply the best way to put it is each day, ask yourself, where is my next customer coming from? For some of you, it's 20 minutes. Christian here is watching, I think from London. I know that you can be 20 minutes, 10 minutes. Sometimes it can be a deal turnaround. Whereas other people, it might be a three month cycle, right? And so, You've got to always ask yourself that, what am I doing to stimulate something new each time? It is absolutely essential because the oxygen of your business and the solution to many problems in your business is new customer acquisition. It does, it does solve a lot of issues. Do you want to shout out a few people here? Christian, nice to see you, my man. Uh, Bob Lowe, good to see you here. Uh, Marcia Vida, lovely to see you on here as well. Thank you. Carolina watching uh, from Florida. Ginny Lemery, perfect time as I'm about to do this. Good. I'm glad you are. Cher Jones. All the way from Toronto, watching on Instagram, it's 20 new conversations. Wow, that's discipline. I like the idea of setting minimum activity standards. Yeah, so I remember it was about six to seven weeks every day of 20 new conversations. And the thing is, it's not 20 conversations because some carry over to the next day. It was brutal. It was like... I'm on the next, I'm on the next day and then there's a load of carryover from the day before. But I, I eased up after a while because I found that 20 was too much for me to service. Well, you know, you do have a limit to number of customers you can bring on for certain things. It was consulting with me literally being on the phone with someone. So I can only do so many calls a day. But 20 was how I got lift off. And it was every day I have to do it. And what happens is if you've done, this is very outcome focused, you see, if you do 20 great calls, 20 great calls, 
uh, sorry, 20 great conversations rather, and it's two in the afternoon, you've done that minimum acceptable level of performance. The mistake people make is by not having such targets or objectives, they, they say to themselves, after one great conversation, oh, I'm doing great. And then the human takes over, I'll have a coffee break now. Well, I'll go and have a little, uh, you know, go on YouTube, I can chill, I've earned the break. And it's like, you know, it, it may well be that you've had a wonderful call or a conversation. It may well be you've just generated a huge deal. But still, to put new in underneath is important. That consistency is really where your wins actually come from. And every so often you have a little bit of a low patch, every so often you get a lovely big deal as a bonus, but still there's the bread and butter going in every single day. It's important to look at it that way. I'm going to reset LinkedIn, because it's being weak today. Thank you, Instagram and, and, uh, and Facebook for propping us up. And let's try again. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, but thank you everyone who, who's watching on this. is a really important uh, topic of mine. We're covering sales today. It's an AMA, so ask me anything. Uh, I want to shout out those of you who are coming to join me in about an hour and a half almost at, um, will be uh, at 10 o'clock Eastern time for the LinkedIn Masterclass online. So I'm doing two hours Masterclass. Uh, it's closed door. There was only 10 people allowed in. I think it was. Um, so you're all joining me. Um, it's 3 p.m. UK time we're doing it. I cannot wait to see you all and go through the process and the strategy I have. If any of you want in on that, then you can let me know, ping me a message, and we will look at doing another one soon because I think the appetite's quite strong for it. Let's try live again. Can everyone put in the comments, come on LinkedIn, LinkedIn or wake up LinkedIn? Let's see if it actually works. It's like pantomime, right? <laughs> Next is Max Mirholm, a man from Pittsburgh, has asked, why is there always a stigma of push, push, push? and being a total shark in sales, when in reality it has nothing to do with that. Is there any truth to that stigma, or should it be avoided entirely as a practice? This is simple. It's one of the biggest mistakes people make. The thing you will understand is that perseverance is important. The thing you will understand is hunger is important. The thing you understand is sometimes real aggression is important in sales, but the mistake that huge amounts, probably a vast majority, it's definitely a majority, but the vast majority of people make, is that they focus. <laughs> I know why it might, might not be working. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking while I'm talking. The problem is that people focus on aggression, aggression, being a shark, tenacity, pushing, persevering with their clients and prospects. What they should be doing this is the big takeaway, is remembering actually that the, the solution is to focus on doing it with yourself. Perseverance shouldn't be with a client. Of course you'll try your hardest and so on. Of course you'll do your best. I am live on LinkedIn. Good. I've just killed it. <laughs> but the point is you shouldn't, instead of, being, instead of saying to yourself, I'm going to push someone until they hang up on me, it should be that you're pushing yourself. Push yourself. Don't be aggressive with a client. Be aggressive with yourself. It served me so well, this approach, because what happened was that I never, never let up. I always pushed myself to be the best I could. I always pushed myself to help someone as best I could. I always pushed myself to be as aggressive as I could with my day and with my solution giving and with my closing of sales for myself. But outwardly, with the customers, it was never, I was never coming across as aggressive. 
okay? Because there's no point, because you definitely lose, because people don't like to be sold to. So what made much more sense, I am live, finally, thank you. <laughs> what makes much more sense is to do that with yourself. There's a time and a place for being zen, there's a time and a place for being chill and things like that, but without question, you should be driving yourself to be absolutely the best you can when you're showing up for your, to, to, the, to the office that day. It might be that every time you have 15 pitches, you get a sale. So when you've done 12, 13 pitches, there's one coming, at least on average, so I need to be ready every single call, meeting, anything, I need to be on point and up for it, which means aggression, being shark-like, being focused on myself, that is what it's all about, but never with the client. The only like visibility or display of something along those lines they might receive is that you are coming across as passionate behind the product and that you're becoming uh, coming across as enthusiastic in your willingness to help them, but not in aggressively closing a deal. Because what are you showing when you do that? You come across like it's all about you. And that turns someone off because someone buys something for themselves always, even if it's for their business, by extension, they're buying something for themselves. So as a result, they don't want to be buying something, something for you. Even if it's a bit of a favor that someone's buying something from you, they're still doing it because it makes them feel good. So you have to focus on them. Uh, I am live. I was live. Oh my God, I can't even bother. LinkedIn's ridiculous today. It looks like I was live. Anyway, next question. Bobby Umar, as I, who's also Toronto actually, has asked, uh, how is my experience enough? I know that without question, my confidence in myself affects my ability to close. And here's the hard thing that a new starter to, or someone new to selling will have to ride this difficult space of, 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 of finding confidence because that really helps close a deal. And the reason why, and I always want to explain the reason why the mechanics behind this is simple. The buyer wants to feel like you've got this. They want to feel like if they give you money, you're gonna look after them because the apex, the thing that closes sales at the very, very top, the reason why the kind of the seed that starts it all is trust. And trust will come from them think feeling, this is a human subconscious feeling, this person's got this. I'm confident and trust that I give Richard some money, he will deliver, therefore I'm willing to do it. And that's how they kind of self-talk themselves over the line. And I think that without question, it affects us as sellers as well. If we want to pass on a product, we need to make sure that we're in a good space for it. If you feel down in any way, if you've had a bad morning, it's really difficult to mask that and not have it kind of naturally weave into the way you speak. It's very difficult and you can see in body language and things like that. I had a voicemail from someone today I listened to, I always listen to them for fun, that it was a spam call and you could tell that person did not want to be at work. It was the Monday morning blues and her voice was, hi is this, she was giving me the reeling off the stuff. It was obviously spam and she was, she, the way she was saying it was going down and down and down. I don't feel good, I don't feel good. And I was like, well, even if you were legit, I'm not gonna feel inspired by her at all. Now what I'm not saying is you need to be hyperactive and over energetic, but I do feel there needs to be some level of intensity and dynamics in here. It really is important because you can craft a deal, as in, 
paint by numbers, go through the motions and potentially move to a place where someone buys something. But that relies on a bit of hope that they happen to be in the market for something. Far, more, far better to approach any sale or meeting or interaction with someone thinking to yourself, I've got this, I can do this, this is going to help. And it's difficult because to start with, as I say, for new, for new starters, they don't have that confidence because the confidence is bred in experience. You know, it comes from you closing sales. And if you haven't, you have to have blind hope that you'll actually entrust that you'll actually get one. So you can rely on the quality of the product. And if the product isn't so great, then that might be hard for you as well. And so you just got to feel good about yourself. And sometimes it comes down to what music am I listening to in the morning and, you know, my self-worth is a big deal, you know, it matters because it permeates all of the, the subliminal signals you're giving out as well, all the nuances on your tonality that you can't explain, that they can't explain, but that affects this person you're interacting with are absolutely huge, really makes a big difference. So it's very important to bear in mind that your ability to close is affected by your self-worth. Having said that, it gets easier as you get more experience because you can draw on the knowledge you're good. And if you're having a rubbish day, I, I've, I've done it before, so many times before when I've had a bad day, I'm not in a good mood, but I've still closed sales because I'm able to go through motions and, and bring out this for myself. But it's very hard to do to begin with. Many people can't do it um, uh, to be, might need ready and sell things, but they can, they can use a hack which is to actually engage with the person they're speaking to and draw positivity from the person's experience of your solution and the way in which you're selling them. And the way you interact with someone may well move them to a place where they feel really good about the experience and that will rub off on you. So in the same way as you can negatively affect someone with how you are feeling, you can get that person to positively affect you. How? Listen, sell them what they need, you know, speak to them about what it is they're after. Go through a spin selling cycle where you understand their situation, you uncover problems, you look at the implication of, of not fixing those problems and of course you provide them with a need as well. Spin questions will uncover these issues and give them a better experience of the buying process, which is marvellous for your self-esteem and feeling good because of course it's fulfilling for you as well to be more the consultant rather than the shark in the words of Max Mirho earlier. Do you see what I mean? Um, a good point here from Roger Wilkerson. So many people can't close because they end up negotiating for the buyer and not themselves. It is interesting this and I think that some people have uh, the experience that sales are so few and far between that literally just closing anything is what they aim to do. But closing anything means that often if you're, if you're an employee, for example, and I've experienced this, your company wins because you're doing all the work and closing it and probably they get a far, like a large amount of the margin. The client wins because they get the deal probably thereafter, but you often lose because you don't negotiate so well and you end up just taking technically a deal, but getting little out of it in terms of commission or whatever. So I, I do think that... Um, Sometimes we need to bear in mind that the back end of the deal, the back end of the call, the back end of the meeting is actually where a lot of the work needs to be done as well. The groundwork is done at the start where you're building this kind of relationship and understanding where the problems really are. But later on, it's an opportunity for you to um, not always take to the extreme where that person's left buying something but feeling like a bit of a bad taste in the mouth, in the mouth but certainly not leaving money on the table. And, and so, I agree with you, Roger. Um, 
you know, not negotiating the right way um, means that you can end up with a bit of a rubbish deal or in fact no deal at all. So it's worth bearing in mind. Uh, more questions come through. So Max Gross over on LinkedIn, I can't even watch it right now, but it's on apparently, um, has asked, what's the best way to discover objections? Point in your call or meeting, you have to ask for the deal. Ask for the deal. Then what happens is the person either says, yeah, let's do it or no. And when they say no, it gives you the opportunity to uncover an objection. Okay. So what have we missed or where did I drop the ball or, or what, what could what, what's in the way at the moment? What's stopping this from going ahead? And then you uncover where the problems are. And of course, you then you fix it and then you go back around again and try again. But but there's a I think that that's a little bit too too uh, black and white and it's not grey enough because in reality, it's absurd in some conversations to ask for the deal in a formulaic way. After, ex after you've explained or broadcasted how a certain part of your, your work works. Because what will happen is, if you've got someone who's like, I'm not that bothered, this is rubbish, like, that maybe they're poorly qualified, or maybe they, you just haven't done a good job, they're sitting there like perplexed, like, just not really into it. And then you say, so what do you think? Should we go ahead with it? Think about the, what, your, what your message you're, you're sending that person. What you're really doing is saying, I am in no way tuned into the conversation, or if I am, I'm disregarding it and superseding what's really going on, as in you're not that bothered. I'm superseding it with my formula where I have to ask you for, for, the, for the deal to uncover objections. It's just stupid. It makes more sense to be real, be in the room, be present with the person you're engaging with. If my, my, my advice on this point is always, if you feel it, your, your intuition is usually right. If you feel it, ask. Do you know what? It feels like I lost you back there. You, were, I was talking about this thing. You were really keen, and then I lost you a bit. What, what, what am I missing here? And just be real with them. And and if and my point is that if if someone's clearly disinterested, then don't ask them for a deal. Check where the problem is. Fix that bit first, because they're going to give you a no, and then go. So hit this problem first. Don't look ridiculous by asking for a deal. Fix the clearly obvious problem you've got. If you're not tuning in, if your intuition isn't on point, you might just overlook it completely that there is a bit of an issue. There's a little telltale signs and, you know, it might be that someone who was chatty goes quiet. But equally, if you're on the phone, for example, you're blind, so it might be that they're just checking an email as well, which is equally as telling. It might be, again, they've gone quiet because they're not really that bothered. You're not holding their interest. It might be that they're being very verbose and then they don't say so many words. Very similar to the previous thing. And, and that's, again, reflection of them thinking about stuff. So if they change, then you need to check in. And a really important underpinning of, of success in under, uncovering um, objections is that from the very start, you absolutely need to work to get um, to condition the prospect to engage with you. What I mean by this is, for instance, even if you're on the phone, even if you're doing something of a pitch at the beginning, you should still be looking for acknowledgement as you go. Even if you're on the phone, well, in fact, especially if you're on the phone, you're looking for noises from them. So to talk at someone in a sales meeting or in a pitch without getting any return is a mistake because you're not warming them up to build momentum behind them talking or making noises. There's no conversation happening. And if there's going to be two of you engaging, and ultimately there's going to be trust, remember, and ultimately they're going to be eating out of your hand and there's going to be a deal. In order for that to happen, 
you'd better make sure that you're really focusing on getting that person talking. So it, what I call acknowledgement questions are really powerful at the start because you might not be ready to ask them like, you know, tell me or you know, realize they're answering it, but little things like make sense, you know, something like that. Little acknowledgement questions get a uh, something coming out of them and what happens is in a certainly with a cold approach that person will start warming up because otherwise they're sitting there cold and you're not giving the giving them the opportunity to warm up these little acknowledgement questions are easily answered and so they won't say well i'm not going to answer that you're saying little things like i mean what do you think does this make sense and they'll say uh-huh or yes but acknowledgement questions can be asked in three ways one way is by asking, does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying here? Or how does that bit sound? The, another way is with tonality at the end, like I just did there, the, the inflection goes up at the end, so I'm inferring a question. Or a third way is with a long pause, so a pregnant pause or a silence. Like that. So what happens is with a silence, the human in them uh, reacts to the awkwardness that is impede, impending and says something and they say, yeah, okay, or something like that. And it means you're on the way. Now it's weird because it might be that you know the answer to questions. It might, that, that they're going to answer, that they're going to answer. It might be that, um, you feel that there's good rapport anyway, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing this because warming them up to conversation and interaction is one of the most important parts of building a rapport at the beginning. Combine that with a strong proposition of the value, practical value you're giving them, so a value proposition, and you'll be in a really strong place because they'll want to listen to you as a professional, they'll be receptive um, because you're offering them value, but also you're warming them up to um, verbalize or, or to uh, reflect that they're interested uh, and, and, by, and or rather engage because you're, you're drawing that from them, you see. So it's a very important thing to, to bear in mind. And what the reason why I'm bringing this up about the start of the conversation is because later on objections tend to come out if someone really is bought into you. So think about it. When you have a close friend, you can just tell if something's wrong. OK, in fact, there's someone just joined on Instagram called Live By Gut and it's in your gut. That's quite a good time. It's actually in your gut. You can feel it. If you think about a family member or a close friend of yours right now, they don't have to tell you something's up and you can just tell. And even though like if and what's funny is that if you say something's up, what's the matter? And they go, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You can just tell that they're not fine. Even in that, you're here to do your best to help one by getting them talking a bit with these little acknowledgement questions and going all in in, in relationship don't go, it's not stand up it's not all you know trying to be funny it's not all social relationship stuff because people are busy but it's being interesting being stimulating presenting value and being a good person that's conscious of the fact that possibly that person's a bit busy done right this person won't play games what happens is that the people who are really bought into you, they tend to offer up front. They're like, they fess up. Look, I've got a problem. You know what? I'm just, I'll be honest with you. Here's the problem. Whereas those where you've not fostered a relationship with, fostered a relationship with those ones, those people don't tend to bother telling you how they feel or what's wrong. Because why should they? You've not earned the right to get that from them. And so you have to warm them up a bit, you see. And that's where the best uncovering objections lie is when they offer them to you. And that comes through a trust 
in the relationships. You have to work together uh, throughout it, but you must lead in building that. So there's a bit of an art to it, but it's kind of important. You're taking cues from the offline world and how you would do it there. So hopefully that makes sense. It's a really good question, uh, Max. Thank you for that. Just want to shout out some people. Uh, Johnny, nice to see you here. Uh, Bo English, great to see you here as well. I'll be actually back at Warwick. Uh, very soon in, in October. Lewis Legend Official, Chantal Fit Go Go, and uh, Brandy Holloway, nice to see you as well. Alison Buckley, nice to see you um, on Facebook. I'll see you a bit later for your LinkedIn Masterclass. Roger Wilkinson's here. Kimmy Conduff, Georgia Mahoney, Bob, Lo Bob Lowe's here. June A, nice to see you as well. Thanks very much. Uh, for watching, presumably people on LinkedIn as well, but I can't see for some reason. <laughs> so there we are. Apologies, anyone on LinkedIn who's watching, but like tapping away on questions uh, in comments. I can't get to you right now, but I'll persevere. Next question is from Jedi Hill. What are your favourite questions to ask a prospect in order to qualify them as a potential client? Well, first, you need to think about what a good client looks like. Client isn't someone who just buys your product. A good client is one who you know, likes the process of buying a product and is going to ideally evangelize to everyone about it as well. For me personally, for instance, if I'm doing consulting, there's a few things I really need. and I need to make sure that they spend money because otherwise they're not going to afford things. So maybe I'll ask questions along the line you know, to probe what they've done in the past. So, you know, I remember in the past I used to ask questions like, um, a lot of people don't t seem to think that investing in themselves is particularly cool these days. You know, like they just don't do it. What do you think? Oh, I, I totally believe in that. It doesn't spend money. They actually uh, spend money on themselves. And other people are like, yeah, I'll, they'll brag about how they spent $100,000 on, on, you know, whatever, on, on to help themselves grow. And so that's potentially someone who's willing to invest in themselves, you see. So that's very, very important. Uh, another thing is I'll, I'll look at, obviously I'll look at their background um, and I, I want to ask them about their background because it's interesting to see, to make some judgment about what kind of person they are. Some people will be very, very kind of clipped about their background and what they do, whereas other people will be a little bit more like they'll want to tell you a load and they'll want to give you a bit more deep and a bit more kind of emotional background. And it allows you to look at the personality typing there. Have you got more of a logical person or have you got more of an action taker? You can just tell in how they speak. Uh, or have you got someone who's a bit more emotional? So you need to have, think about if you're going to affect those people in different ways. And, you know, those who are a bit more emotional, you can you can tune into that side of them and you can uncover a lot more. And it just it's interesting because you have to work with different personality types in different ways, with different flavors of human, basically. And I think the other thing as well, I had a note actually I wrote on this, uh, was that you should be thinking to yourself, um, whilst that person's talking, a good way to kind of qualify people um, uh, I would say uh, Jedi is is to get them just to talk as much as they can like I often would say if, to a business owner like give me a sense of your trajectory to here what's it been like and it's really good because if you can sit back you take some notes pay attention and have a look at what this person's actually like look at whether or not they blame things make excuses everything's always other people's fault and things like that for me working as a consultant it's not that I, I'm looking for people who won't blame me if something goes wrong. I just want people to blame me when I do something wrong rather than when anything goes wrong. And I think that's right. And, and the point I'm making here is that some customers are bad customers because some customers are going to be a massive tax on your time and energy and motion and resource because they want things all the time because they need their nappies changing, diapers if you're in America. Where, whereas... Others are like, I love this, this is brilliant, let's buy it. And so what I tend to try and do is, is um, qualify, not just 
if they have spend, but also what they're going to be like to work with, because it's a two-way thing. Any customer isn't a good customer necessarily. I've had I've had people I've worked with in the past um, who it's like this is a bad relationship because they're so needy, so needy to the point that it impedes my ability to do, to do a job. And you've got to be you with like checking on things. Be built negatively and is constantly giving this stream of negativity it's just not worth it so you've got to bear these things in mind as well and a good way to gauge it is almost an interview i would say jedi is to get the person talking have a sense like what's this person going to be like to work with you'll never know for sure but it's a really good thing to test as well because you get a sense of that person it, it'll be a little you know there's nothing worse than entering into agreement and then then a few weeks down the line thinking what kind of an idiot have i got to work with you see at the same time, you need to make sure that you've got adaptability. I heard this new term. People talk about IQ for intelligence. And then the buzzword a couple of years back, of course, was EQ, emotional uh, quotient. But now it's uh, AQ, which is adaptability. And you've got to have adaptability. You've got to be able, especially nowadays, to adapt and uh, you know change direction based on the kind of person you've got. You can't be too rigid. But at the same time, some people are clearly going to be a nightmare to work with, and it's just not worth it. Let someone else do it instead. Janine, thanks for watching. Erica, thanks for joining as well over on Facebook. Uh, Juliana17, great answers, she says. Thank you very much. Does video help to build the trust with potential clients? Yes, it does. It's one of the reasons why I do live, especially Juliana, by have a heavy um, uh, video-related, uh, video-focused strategy for my marketing. So the content I put out, uh, this all helps the sales process. Content put out is very focused on video and images because humans, humans, you're a human before you're a buyer or before you're any kind of job title, you're a human first. Humans want to be familiar with the person they're going to buy from because the person they're going to buy from or the entity they're going to buy from has to uh, make them feel there's a sense of trust there. Okay, if there's no trust, it's not going to happen. So the, the trust is the building of trust is accelerated when a human has more of a sense of you. So if I hide behind a logo and I just type text and well done to all of you wonderful copywriters. But if I just do that, I'm slowing down my ability to warm up an audience because they need to feel do you know, I said this already today, do you know what, I feel like this guy's got this. I feel like Richard's someone I really want to trust and work with. And you, in watching a video, you're on Instagram right now, Juliana, you will have a sense of me far more than if I was just to, like, just to write articles. Articles are great, some people like to read them, that's fine, it shows a depth of, of abilities if I want to write as well, and I've done plenty of them. What What's clear though is video conveys the person, and if people buy people, then it means that you're, you need to give your prospects and your audience the best opportunity to have a sense of who you are, to get familiar with you who you are, so you feel comfortable around you, and it's that that allows someone to subconsciously decide to be receptive. This is what I put in a video recently on, on LinkedIn. Once they've, once they've subconsciously let themselves be receptive to you, that's when a sale can begin. Think about it, it's the complete opposite effect is when someone cold calls you from a spam number on your landline at home. If you answer that, you're like, they're gonna put me on a list, they're gonna be calling me all day, and they're trying to sell me something, there's no interest in me whatsoever. There's zero trust there. And so, 
you know, what you need to do is give the best opportunity, basically, for someone to have a sense of who you are. If there's something dodgy about you, if there's something a little bit weird or like you're, you know, best way to be authentic and to give yourself as much you can is to be on video. You know what? This person seems legit. That's why this is week number 160. So over three years solidly, every week we've been doing this because one step better, Juliana, than video, as in pre-recorded, is live. Because I can't put on an act, okay, for three or plus years, every single week for an hour and pretend to be someone else. This is just me. And so what happens is it has a really positive effect. And people are like, I feel like I know that guy. And it's a lovely feeling is whenever you go to um, uh, meetings or conferences around the world and you meet people who have met you first or seen you first online and consumed your video, there's this sense, you've had this probably already, you have a sense that you know the person. Think about, a, not necessarily saying I'm a celebrity, but think about a celebrity. If you've watched them on telly, you feel like you have a sense of who that person is if you were to meet them, even if they're not like that at all because you've engaged with or consumed that actor, if you like, even if it was a, as a character. Which is why some characters who play villains in films get shouted at and abused in the street because people are a little weird and seem to think sometimes that that's actually that person. It's a very interesting uh, question that, but that, in my opinion, video, if you want your customers to warm to you and you want them to um, move to a place where organically they may well become inbound, they'll come to you, Video is the place to, to do it. And, you know, video is, is just simply a way of, of getting the human through. It really helps. Uh, Sam Wells, thank you very much. Love this here from LinkedIn. Connection better than IG. Okay, no problem. Uh, no problem. I think the connection has been a bit rubbish this morning. I think I've went offline about three times, but here we are. Uh, also, uh, Janine uh, saying good morning, Richard, on Facebook. I'm moving to Spain in the near future. Look forward to being in the same time zone and to meet you. You're one hour ahead in Spain, but if you are in there, uh, in next month on the 18th in Barcelona, we've got Entrepreneur Business Live, so I'll be there um, and we'll be talking about uh, broadcasting your message. So it'll be really exciting, that one. It's round two of Barcelona this year, so I hope you can join us for that. Let's go on to a couple more questions. So Purvi Davi has asked, Richard, what are some traditional selling methods that shouldn't be used anymore and some tips for selling without selling? Let's do the second bit first. Everyone always asks, always asks this, Richard, how do you sell without selling? What they, I think what a lot of people mean is, I don't want to do the used car salesperson vibe. I don't want people to reject me, so I don't want to sell anything. Because if I sell, if I do the selling thing, it's awkward and people are going to not like me. Sure, if you do it that way, but then the best way to sell is to is by way of a very, very strong um, well, and I'm, I'd like to think I'm doing a good job with it. You get inbounds, people coming to you saying, hey, I've seen your stuff, I really dig it. How can we work together? And also you get people naturally buying things on their own. So for instance, um, you know, I, if you look at my website, there are three courses and they sell on their own. People may see the ads or they see content like this and they're like, who's this guy? You know, in, in the same way as Sam saw Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, though he's moved to Instagram here. I'm not saying you're going to do this, Sam, but a lot of people will be like, I like this guy, I like his content, it resonates. Who is this person? Now they're on the website. Oh, they've got a course. Ah, oh, perfect. I need some help with LinkedIn. Basics a LinkedIn course and they do a purchase. So that's how you can sell without selling. But the focus is on giving so much practical value uh, that makes someone and, and sharing yourself, as I've just described uh, to Juliana's uh, question a minute ago, uh, 
um, you end up with people trusting you and feeling comfortable around you. So they're more likely to actually bother to, uh, you know, to, to, to engage to the point where they might well buy something. So that's the uh, that's my opinion on it. Some traditional selling methods that shouldn't be used anymore. All work, obviously unethical stuff doesn't work. All work, right? Everything works. If you go to myspace.com, you can probably still find people there that use it avidly. And so you've got to bear that in mind. But some things are more effective than others. You know, flyers just don't work. And the reason why is that the best flyers in the world, as in the most impactful graphics that have the greatest thoughts gone into design um, and pattern interrupt and all that kind of thing. The problem with the flyer is it's it's the conditioning of the recipient in the same as when when we even call it junk mail falls through our letterbox. I had some today, for example. You don't look at that. Some guy, some poor mugs decided to spend money on a designer building out this this flyer and sure some people will see it. But the problem is that if it's trying to do a sell, it doesn't work. The reason why it doesn't work is because you're conditioned before you even look at the message to not want to, to read it. You're conditioned to pick it up and put it straight in the bin. You just are, that's what we do. In the same way as a cold call to your house, you're conditioned that if you pick that phone up, it will be someone wasting your time. And every time you do it, pretty much, you verify that, validate that point rather. Um, and it's, I can't ever remember someone selling me something on the phone, uh, as in calling to my house and doing it, because they're always, you know, it's always rubbish. And so you're conditioned against it. And, and as a result, it's not, I think from a strategy perspective, you shouldn't do those kind of analog things like leaflet drops, because no one reads them. They just don't. By no one, basically no one reads them. And I remember when I started two taekwondo schools years back, um, we did a flyer drop and it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of houses. I must be like four or five hundred houses. Someone put a leaflet in every box. I think there's no one, not even inquiries, literally nothing. You should be spending that time and money on even Facebook ads. You should also not try and sell first time you should be focusing on trying to pass on to warm someone up for example that can work so much better warm them up first get them into orbit and then go from there i'm going to draw a line here today because it's been an hour instagram is going to shut me down it shuts you down after one hour anyway thank you very much everyone for watching if you got it on linkedin they're marvelous have a great day i'll see you later on instagram thank you also on uh facebook as well i'll catch you all very soon i really really love it when so many people tune in for that so thank you so much and a lot of new familiar uh, new